quick note. If you're interested in seeing the pictures of the scene taken by police, I have posted them in the Down and Away closed discussion group on Facebook. Just search Down and Away discussion group and click the join button. Also, the public Down and Away Facebook page has posts regularly and discussion related to all of the cases that I cover. Bright and early on Sunday morning, the search for Lisa Beckel resumed on Sneed Island at the area where her clothing was found. Almost as soon as the detective showed up that morning, he spotted her. According to the report, they had searched the area directly across the lagoon with dogs the day before, but they hadn't seen her. As far as the timeline goes, this was just around 9 a.m. as the day's search began, and the body of a white female was immediately discovered in the water on the north side of the canal, directly across from what they deemed to be the crime scene. From the report, quote, the victim's body was visible on the shoreline across the lagoon from the scene at the water's edge under some tree limbs. The crime scene was immediately taped off, a perimeter was established, and every responder that entered the scene was noted, along with arrival times. They also collected the names, addresses, and vehicle tag numbers of everyone that came by the crime scene that day. Every vehicle traveling down that two-lane unpaved road headed toward Emerson Point, or wanting to do so, was stopped. In the end, they had a list of people, a few of whom had seen a white truck in the area the day before and on that same day. One couple had said that they had seen a white pickup truck that very morning, around 8 a.m., which would have only been an hour before the search itself began. Lori and her boyfriend Joe were two of the people on that list. The report noted that they were friends of Lisa. I believe it was the night before she went missing. We used to hang out at a park in Palmetto. Um, there used to be a Palmetto Elementary School there. We were all going up to Club Yana, which was a teenage dance club. She declined to go because she was going to go see an older boyfriend of hers that she was dating that worked at a gas station. Um, the gas station, I can't remember the name of it, but where the green bridge is, it was right on the corner on the right-hand side before you would go over the green bridge in Palmetto. Okay. That was the last time I ever saw her alive. I want to say it was the day before I found out she was missing. You heard from Lori in episode one. Here's a bit more. It looks like your name is on there because you had driven down to that area and you were with Joe Lamline. Um, That's correct. Okay. He was my boyfriend and we used to always go to that area. And then, unfortunately, uh, when we came around that corner, uh, I saw the medical examiners and... Yeah, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Um, but he actually worked at the yacht club there, so it was not uncommon for me to go pick him up, and we would ride out there and talk and chat and do what kids do. Exactly. Okay. So um, when you were driving out there around that corner, when you saw the, you guys didn't know she was missing at the time. Yeah, we knew she was missing. Tell me when you remember. I, be I believe I believe we knew she was. The, you. This is so long ago. Yeah. I will do everything I can in my power to help you. Yeah. I believe at that point we knew she was missing. I think I might have heard it rumored, and I'm not sure if it was before or after, that they had found her car over by Bishop Planetarium, which is another place all of us kids used to go on the weekends. <clears throat> okay. You know, we go out and drink beer illegally and so forth, if you want to know the truth. Yeah, well, I, that, I did too, so that's what we all no, did that, at that age. That's what we did. <laughs> and um, the park over by Bishop Planetarium, which is on the other side of the Green Bridge, 
um, we used to hang out in that park on the weekends. It was not uncommon for 20, 30 of us to be out there. Okay, um, so the name of the park that, in, that she, her car was found in was Rossi Park. So that's the one you're talking about? I don't know what the name of it is. Okay. Again, it's been so long. I can tell you if you pull it up on a map mm -hmm. and there's Bishop Planetarium that's right across the highway from it, that's the park. Okay, so where this is the same park that you saw her at that night? No, no, no. no. The park that I was with her at was um, another park we used to hang out with. There was a school called Pomino Elementary. I don't even think it's still standing there anymore. Okay. Um, they had the big 4th of July celebrations there every year for 4th of July, like the big family events. That's the park that we were in. And was this a group, a small group, a large group? What was going on at that time at that park? Um, I think, uh, you know, I can't remember. I, I want to say, like, there was probably four or five of us there. Um, Joe was my boyfriend at the time, so him and I were always together, and we were most likely there together. But we used to go to um, a club called Club Yana, which is a teenage club. I think it's in Sarasota. Um, for teenagers, it was kind of like a dance club minus the alcohol. She didn't go because she was going to go talk to her boyfriend that worked at the gas station. That was the last conversation I physically saw her and had with her. And this was a nighttime conversation or daytime? This was a nighttime conversation. I mean, I, if somebody had called me when all this happened, nobody oh, right. ever spoke to me about any of this. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, and that's yeah, yeah, because my memory was crystal clear then. And for years, I just tried to put it out of my head. And the thing is, if you're saying that club was on Friday nights usually and you were headed over there, then you may have talked to her that Friday night. And the time that you talked to her would have been important. And you're not sure if the day that you guys went down there, you, your specific reason for going down to Emerson Point that morning would have been to find out what was going on with Lisa? Or were you just going down there? Oh, God, no. I had no idea she was even over there. None. I mean, if I had known that, I would have gone and rescued her. No, I... No, it was just an unfortunate coincidence that that's where Joe and I always went because he worked at the Yacht Club. So we would go out there and hang out. Then I'd take him to work or I'd pick him up from work and we'd go out there. That was our little go-to place. He was my boyfriend. We made out up there. That's what we did. Daytime and nighttime you'd go out there? Oh, yeah, because he had different shifts at the Yacht Club. He was, And unfortunately, it's really sad because he would probably remember it better. He passed away about four years ago. Because law enforcement had a difficult time the previous day with getting a boat into the area in question, one of the officers had brought his own personal John boat from home, and it was used to get across the lagoon. The medical examiner was present at the scene, and they noted that Lisa was face down in the water, nude except for her bra, which was unfastened and tangled around her shoulders. A diver went into the water near the body and tried to locate her missing earring. That second earring would never be found. One damaged earring had been recovered the day before on the ground, in the same area where they found the used condom and the empty wrapper. Once the initial images were taken of Lisa's body in the water, before disturbing the area, a body bag was slipped over her and she was towed back across the lagoon to the accessible side. That alone, that they had to tow her back across, should tell you a bit about the area they were working with. This was not a huge body of water. This was not a deep body of water. It was a fairly narrow canal in a heavily wooded area. Three pieces of jewelry were recovered from Lisa, her Palmetto High School class ring, a small bracelet, and a small necklace. At 2 p.m. the next day, an autopsy was performed. It was the medical examiner's belief that Lisa was alive when she went into the water, due to the presence of water in the synoid sinuses. 
she had no ligature marks and no sign of trauma in the neck area, which would indicate strangulation. Other than bruising on her left leg below the knee, the only injuries noted were described as three pinpoint hemorrhagic needle marks found on the inner arm below where the elbow area bends. To further confuse that issue, when the toxicology report came back, no drugs were found in her system. And I did find that slightly interesting because Lisa was known to smoke pot. She had been smoking it for at least three years from my own research, and generally that can stay in the system for a few days for a casual user. The final conclusion by the medical examiner would be cause of death, drowning with contributing factor of acute ethanol intoxication. Manner of death, undetermined. Um, let me ask you about those needle marks because initially the, the first um, uh, examiner that came out to the scene described them as puncture marks, but in the ME's report, they are listed as hemorrhagic needle marks. And, and it's not, in my experience, medical examiners know what a needle mark looks like. They're not describing it as a needle mark if it's not a needle mark. What were you told about them? Okay. What was done? What Did you see the actual marks? What can you tell me? I Just a picture, I think, of them. And my doctor at the time... And he looked at Lisa's body for me. He and the nurse went and looked at Lisa's body. And because I was concerned about what kind of marks would have been on her arm. Mm -hmm. Because I, I wondered if she was doing any kind of uh, drugs. Intravenous, but, okay. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I, I mean, she never seen, I couldn't tell, you know, if she was doing that. And, and I'm talking about marijuana, not the hard drugs or anything like that, or I didn't know right. I had a big problem with that. Right. And I, and I didn't want my daughter smoking marijuana either. You know, because that's all she had in her system was alcohol. And the only other I think explanation I can think of was, was did she have any doctor's appointments or blood tests um, done for any reason within those those couple days? No. No. You know how you give blood or whatever at the doctor, you know. That's the only thing. Re that's the only reasonable thing I could think of that would explain no. them with nothing in your, no drug in your system. You know, except yeah. alcohol. And and they yeah. listed it as a fairly acute level of alcohol, a high a high level. So, um, you know, I'm thinking crazy stuff like, did someone inject her with alcohol? Or is the toxicology screen, was it not accurate? What, you know, this is a piece to the puzzle that doesn't make sense. It's not, it doesn't fit. Yeah, she doesn't make told sense. Susie that he was, whoever was coming to her was bringing a bottle. She mm -hmm. told Sue that. Mm -hmm. So I don't doubt that she would have had alcohol in her system. The sheriff's department told me that the reason for the high alcohol level in her blood was because of the temperature, the heat, and the, the heat of the water and passage of time made it look like it was even higher. And it was. Okay. They, they explained that to me then because I thought, oh, my God. But, yeah, they did discuss that with me or tell me about that. And, and, and it wouldn't be, a, I mean, I 
went to parties. Kids drank to excess sometimes. That wouldn't even be unreasonable for me to think that she drank too much. You know, that's not unreasonable. Or, I mean, if someone's feeding you alcohol, you know. Um, we also have to remember her state of mind. She spent the entire day looking for Brian. She was irritated. She was upset. She liked this guy. And, and you know, even in her own words, she told, I think it was Jeff, you know, she kind of, she was trying to get away from home, be independent, do her own thing. I don't know that she... She said, basically, she was sort of using him a little bit. She cared about him a little bit, but she was also using him. So I, you know, to get, to have, to be able to spend the night at his house. She's actively spending the night at his house. He's actively trying to stay away from her. That That's one of the reasons what led me to think that it wasn't Brian, because he was actively avoiding her that day. He told police that, and it was in his, he, you know, she was going all over town, car, bike, everywhere, and he's actively avoiding her. And it was one of those, I feel like I want my cake and eat it too. I want to date other girls, but I also kind of want to keep you on the side burner just in case, you know, that's the sort of, I feel like he was that type of, you know, guy, basically. Um, so she wasn't in a great mood. She'd spent all day doing this. She meets this guy. Okay, I'm going to go out with him. I'm going to drink. I'm going to blow off some steam. All of that fits. And it seems reasonable to me that none of that seems unreasonable. But puncture marks that are, that the Emmy calls needle marks in the arm with no explanation does not sound reasonable. No, it doesn't. So something. She also, um, I was angry at her too. You know, I was upset with her because I didn't want her to even go babysit over there because I thought it was an excuse to get out and to, you know, be with Brian. And um, so she knew that I was angry at her. And somebody, I don't know who they were, but somebody called me one time and told me that she was crying because her mother was mad at her. And I'm thinking, you know, it made me feel bad. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I was just being her mother. Right. Trying yeah. to stop her from making these mistakes. I would have done the same thing, though. You shouldn't feel bad. I mean, I would have done the same thing. There were times where I felt my mom was... I was more of a... Well, I'd say, you know, I would tell my mom pretty much everything. My sister would be more like Lisa, where she... My sister left home when before she had even graduated high school. She didn't want to follow the rules at home. And my mom said, these are the rules. You're going to follow them or you're not going to live here. And my my sister was a little bit of a smart aleck. So she said, okay, I'm going to move in with friends. And she did. And she supported herself. She had a job, she always, but she just didn't like, she had that wild independent streak. I did not. I was more of a scaredy cat. I was more of a, so every kid's different. Every kid's looking at life at that. I mean, that's a turning point in your life. You're graduating high school. Your whole life is going to look different than it has been for the last 18 years. You had a very regimented schedule. You had to be a certain place at a certain time. You had to turn in work. You had to get good grades. You had to do all these things. And then suddenly you don't have any of that and now you have a job but you're sort of in control of that job so like she had the Winn-Dixie job but then she wanted to work elsewhere and it wasn't it you that told me she was had she just going to start that new job on Monday that new job at the bank right yes yes um yeah we even you know talked about that and I told her I said Lisa the bank would be an ideal job for you you know but I said okay you know, but she she wanted the Win Dixie. They were doing a bunch of them were doing something, um, and I don't know what it was. I I don't know the, where they were going or they were doing something together. I think, and she wanted to be included. She wanted to go, and her boss, not Susie, but her boss, would not let her go. He had put her on the schedule, and he 
was depending on her to be there. And he told her, I guess, you know, she was the type that she would keep begging him to let, let her off. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he finally said, either you are here or you're done with your job. And I, I think, I'm not positive, I wasn't there and I don't know for sure, but I think that's what happened with that job. I think it is, too, because Susie had a similar story. She thought it was a graduation party, and um, I know she did go to a graduation party the week before, on the 9th, I believe. And okay. and what's interesting is that the notes in the report say that one of the landlines had a graduation party, and Lisa was there. So it might be that party that she was going to, and that so that would have been the week before. The scene where something occurred that night something that we can't call homicide or misadventure at this point, is 250 feet off the roadway into a densely forested area of Australian pines and mangroves. A confusing array of items lay on and about the area. A condom and wrapper, a single earring, a mostly full box of Marlboro cigarettes, a cigarette butt, all in fairly close proximity between a triangle of trees that were about four feet from one another. The fourth tree stood at the edge of the flat area just before it sloped down into the shoreline. So that is the size of the general area of interest we're working with. There is no sign of disturbance in or around the area, no drag marks, no scuffs, nothing of that nature. That would generally suggest that the victim walked in there of their own volition. One glaring omission that I noticed was nothing related to footprints or shoe prints. If Lisa's shoes were found on the shoreline of the water, I would have hoped to have seen some indication of bare footprints in the area, unless the tide in the canal or lagoon could have risen and fallen enough to erase them, because they do describe a sandy shoreline. Although in the pictures I don't see a whole lot of that, it's a very small area and I expect that she didn't willingly walk into the water with her shoes on and then remove them and place them on the shoreline, and there was no mention of whether they were wet or dry when they were found. A paper bag was also collected a few feet outside of that triangle of trees, and perhaps the more disturbing possible evidence collected were sections of cut rope that were scattered in and around that area, and even some down by the water, down that sandy slope about 25 feet from the triangle of trees. Police collected this rope, although it doesn't appear that any DNA tests have been done to ascertain whether Lisa's body ever came in contact with it. And it's not an insignificant amount of rope, either. In the report, it's listed this way, and I'm going to give feet measurements rather than inches just to make it a little bit easier to visualize. One piece of about three and a half feet with two knots and a loop. One piece that's about four feet with two knots. Several pieces in the following lengths almost seven feet, almost six feet, one that's five feet, one just over two feet, and one that was just under three feet, and then another five-foot section. There's one more piece that they indicated feet, although I think it's supposed to be inches, but it would be a two-foot piece with two knots. Now that's a lot of rope, cut in lengths varying from two feet to seven or eight feet, and it's also all over the place. An eight-foot section was found up farthest from the water, near the paper bag. There's a tree near the slope that goes down into the water on the opposite side of the scene, and there is a rope listed as on that tree, although not indicated whether it's tied to it or draped over a branch. 
There's rope in the bushes nearby that tree and another piece in a shrub nearby. Then there's another piece about 16 feet from that tree in the water at the edge of the shoreline. All of it within that same area where Lisa's clothing and other items were found and directly across that canal or lagoon from where her body was found. Because we don't know if those rope sections were in any way related to Lisa's death, we're left to wonder what other uses would someone have in that area for those kinds of varying lengths of rope. There are no other clues in that regard, like specific evidence that pieces of the rope had been used for something like crab fishing. Nothing was tied to the end of any of them, like bait. Nothing was tied that would help them float either, like buoys or bobbers. And as I understand crab fishing, it's not a toss the line out and wait, like pole fishing. It's more of a put the stringer out with some sort of cage attached, and come back later to see what you've caught, kind of deal. You aren't sitting on the shore with one end of the rope in your hand waiting for a single crab to bite, if you understand what I mean. And why it would be strewn about like that is puzzling to me. Perhaps there are other types of fishing one might use clothesline-type rope for, because knots in rope could indicate the knots were placed there to help grab onto the wet rope when pulling it in. A knot gives you a little bit of extra grip, while the rope's use in fishing is possible, there's no evidence about that rope to suggest that was its use any more than there is evidence to suggest that that rope was used to restrain Lisa in some manner. She didn't have any ligature marks on her body, according to the medical examiner. I did have someone who reached out to me tell me that they recalled being asked, and they thought it was by police, if Lisa was someone who would have been into being tied up, let's say tied to a tree presumably for some sort of sexual purpose. This person said, absolutely not. But a friend of Lisa's having been asked that question by police makes it sound to me like they were just as flummoxed about the rope as I am. There's no indication that that rope has anything to do with what happened with Lisa. Now, before I go any further discussing this scene in any more depth, I want to give you some information about the DNA on the cigarette butt and the condom found at the scene. During my research, I reached out to Manatee County Sheriff's Office, and I was put through to a Detective Sergeant Levita and told that I could leave him a message and have him call me back. But I needed to be patient because they were actively working three homicides at the time. So honestly, I was shocked when he got back with me, and he did just a couple days later. He told me that this was not an open case, that it wasn't something that they were reinvestigating. He said that the M.E. had listed it as drowning, and at that point I did mention that the manner of death had been undetermined, and there were some outstanding questions related to the DNA results, which I had specified in the message that I had left for him. And while the detective sergeant was not read into the file itself, meaning he couldn't go over minute details with me because he had not read the whole case file, he did pull up that report on the DNA results for those items, and I really appreciate him doing that. First. Lisa was excluded as being a source on the condom. So that means that condom is unrelated to Lisa. Second, Lisa's DNA could not be excluded from the cigarette butt, meaning that it is likely hers, but there were at least two contributors, meaning her DNA and at least one other person's DNA, on the cigarette butt. So what does this DNA information do to our understanding of the scene? Well, first, we cannot assume a consensual interaction occurred. It could have, 
But with the condom, that would have been the general assumption. And now we don't know what occurred there. Second, with the DNA on the cigarette butt linked to Lisa, we can assume she most likely smoked a cigarette in that area. Unless you want to go out on a limb and suggest that someone planted her cigarette butt there. Which I think is unlikely, given that this was 1990, and nobody was thinking about DNA evidence back then. So what do we have left? I don't think they even tested any of the rope for DNA because they couldn't even be sure it had anything to do with the scene, and frankly, I'm not sure that it does either. As for her clothing, their location is confusing. Unless we're to believe that Lisa took them off willingly and then willingly got in that canal. And remember, that shirt was torn and that skirt was torn in multiple places, one of which being the waistband. Here's Lori again. There is no way that she went out drunk and went swimming in that water. I'm going to tell you absolutely no 100% do I ever, would anybody ever tell me that? I don't think I would. I would not, drunk or not, would I be no, climbing no, around? No, she and, would have. Um, if she was drunk, she would have laid down in the seat and passed out somewhere. That's what she would have done. And if she was that far back in the woods, something was happening that put her in that situation, that put her in that place, because none of us, and I mean none of us that I ever have been out there, have ever seen anybody that far from where we all hung out. We hung out at the very end of it. Yeah, to me, it may, it makes me feel like whoever took her to that specific location at that area um, knew that area, was someone who had been to that specific area. It's, you know what I mean? Oh, Lord. Well, that makes sense. You know. But, you know, I wasn't one that went and trekked on down the, the paths when we were there. So, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, I know Lisa, there was nothing about her that was muddy, dirty, and murky water that she would have ever touched. Yeah, it just seems not, I mean, it just not does not seem like, oh, let's go swimming. But if someone willingly takes their clothes off and goes in the water, where's the other person that's with them? Did they just leave her there and she just decided, I'm going to take a swim, I'm yeah, frustrated? Yeah, you're right. At best, it's still going to be neglect. And why would you throw her wallet out of the car? Yeah, if you or throw... Or truck or whatever the heck it was. Why right. would you throw that out? Right. Instead of, oh my God, she went in the water, she's gone, let me call the Marine Patrol or whoever it is that you need to call to find your friend. Yeah, that to me, that wallet says a lot. That wallet says a lot to me because that's someone who either knows she's already incapacitated or deceased or does is leaving the scene with a, an item of hers. And, and uh, you know, why are you, if, if you, let's say she got separated from, you had a consensual situation and then she got, she got in the water and you got separated. Why are you throwing, what possible positive scenario is involved in you throwing her wallet out the window yeah no but yeah that doesn't even make sense because that what that tells me is she didn't take her clothes off and put them all on a spot she obviously if she had her wallet on her would have put it on top of her clothes it wouldn't be down the road somewhere else well my thought thinking on the wallet was it was in the car and you know she he tossed it once he you know kind of to distance himself from it there are other pieces of evidence that do speak to me and what they say leans more toward the intent or actions of whoever was with her. If it's related to the incident, an almost full box of Marlboro Reds on the ground, well, that's something you wouldn't expect someone to leave intentionally. That seems like an oversight made by someone either leaving in a hurry or someone who didn't realize that they had dropped them. Lisa smoked Marlboro Light, and that's the type of cigarette butt that was found on the ground with her DNA on it, and someone else's as well. One question that I would have about there being two DNA contributors on the Marlboro Light cigarette butt is, why would she be sharing a cigarette with someone who already had their own cigarettes right there? 
could the unknown source of DNA on that cigarette butt have been transferred from Lisa's mouth to the cigarette? That's possible. Another more troubling possibility would be that more than one male was there with them, someone who smoked Marlboro Reds and someone else who had taken a drag off Lisa's cigarette. Or the other possibility is, like the condom, that almost full pack of cigarettes has nothing to do with the death of Lisa either. I know that they fingerprinted that box of Marlboros, but I would think that now in 2022 DNA tests could be performed on it. When you pull out a cigarette, your fingers touch various parts of the box. I don't know, however, how much of an appetite there is within the Manatee County Sheriff's Office for doing any more DNA testing in this case. Now it appears that whoever left Lisa out there also tossed her wallet out the driver's side window as they left Emerson Point, which seems to indicate that person or persons either had some idea she wouldn't need it or didn't care enough that she would. Her purse and her car keys were also never found. Why would someone toss her wallet out as they drove away? And where did her purse end up? One of Lisa's damaged earrings was found on the ground at the scene. The other was never found. It was Susie that told me that it was damaged, because she looked at it when she looked at the clothing to verify that they were Lisa's for the police. So how, if it was damaged, would it have gotten damaged? Lisa's cause of death was drowning with acute alcohol intoxication, being a contributing factor, yet no other drugs were found in her system. Yet she had what the ME described as three pinpoint hemorrhagic needle marks in her arm. Generally, a medical examiner will not qualify a puncture mark as a needle mark unless they are fairly certain a needle went into that arm. A needle mark is a very specific type of injury. And if it's a needle mark, why did her talk screen indicate nothing other than alcohol in her system? Let's say she did go and have consensual sex and got in the water. Um, I don't know. There goes somebody that I'm out with right now that is in danger. Let me call 911. Exactly. That's exactly you right. Just leave somebody dead in a ditch. Even if I was in a hookup situation and embarrassed the shit out of myself, this person's dying. I need to call 911. Or if, if she's acting silly and in the water for some reason, which we don't even think happened, but say she did take her clothes off and go into that water, aren't you trying to get her out and say, quit being stupid? And even if you're mad at her, dragging her out of the water and getting her in the car or something, somebody left, there was some sort of negligence involved at the very least. But I believe it was more than that. I don't, I, she's got ripped, she's got torn clothing. She's got, you know, um, those needle marks that are unexplained. There's just too many things that... Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Lisa never, never, never would put a needle of drugs in her arm. I'm telling you that wholeheartedly. I'd put the last dollar on my bank account on it. No way. Absolutely no way would she have injected a drug in her arm. That was never a part of our circle. If Lisa went into the water willingly, was the person or persons with her still there when she did? Or did they just leave her out there to wander around in the dark? Maybe something happened to Lisa before this person left the scene, which seems more in line with someone tossing her wallet out the window as they made their way off the island. Now, there were two individual truck sightings that seemed to suggest they could have been related to whatever occurred with Lisa because of their proximity to where the items we discussed were found. Around 9 or 9.30 Friday night, a guy named Randy spotted a white pickup truck on the north side of the road, a quarter to a half a mile from the tip of Emerson Point, 
facing east with their driver's door open. This distance, if accurate, would be a bit further west or closer to the actual tip of the island than where Lisa was found, which was about a mile down the road from the point. Around 9.30 p.m., another individual named Mike, who was headed out toward the point, saw a white pickup truck, which he thought was a Ford, on the left side of the roadway, leaving Emerson Point. He didn't know who was inside. Because these witness accounts are close in time frame, it's unclear which occurred first, the car driving or the car stopped with the door open. But about an hour later, when Mike was leaving Emerson Point, he saw a white male, 5'10 to 5'11, 165 to 170 pounds with a cap, a t-shirt, and a pair of jeans standing near the edge of the water, looking back as if he was looking for something or someone. He said this individual was standing near the curve where the body was found. The curve in question would have been a curve in that road that leads out to Emerson Point. It's past the scene a bit if you're heading off the island. His interview indicates this individual standing near the edge of the water water that wouldn't have been visible from the exact area of the scene. However, there are spots along that road out to Emerson Point where the water does come closer to the road in small patches. So it's possible these three sightings indicate the person and truck at different spots on that road at different times. Is this the person who was with Lisa? That's about an hour's worth of time between those sightings and could seem to suggest this person could have been looking for Lisa. What if she did get in that water willingly and this person somehow lost sight of her, or even left her there for whatever reason and then came back? That's one possibility. It's the possibility that leans closest to this not being a crime at all, but some type of accident or misadventure. An inebriated young woman somehow in a situation through no fault of anyone involved other than recklessness, which ends with an accidental death. But then how do we explain her torn clothing? That clothing would have been torn before she took it off and entered the water if she took it off herself, based on where we were told it was found. Shoes sitting on the bank, and clothing floating in or nearby the water's edge. How did that happen? What reasonable, non-nefarious situation ends with torn clothing, which then are removed by her before Lisa willingly goes into the water, let's say for a nice evening dip? in the dark. Would she have done that if she were alone, out there in the dark, having been left by whoever she was with? I don't think that I have ever been intoxicated enough to jump into a body of dark water in the middle of the woods at night alone, never mind if someone else was there with me. Is it more likely that she'd have done that, knowing someone was nearby, maybe even trying to entice them in the water to join her? It's hard to say. And why is a damaged earring lying on the ground, where an almost full pack of cigarettes was seemingly dropped, or left, near the base of a tree? All of which would have had to happen before she went into the water. How does she end up with no earrings on, and no clothing on? If you believe there was some sort of sexual encounter where she removed her clothing, it is highly doubtful that she would have removed her earrings as well. That's just not something, as a girl, you would do. There's no reason to do that. The more nefarious take is that Lisa didn't go into that water willingly, that it wasn't she who put that clothing at the water's edge, but someone else, maybe someone who went into that water with her, as her mother thinks, and only one of them came out, someone who removed their clothing, 
maybe dropping cigarettes in the process and then never retrieved those cigarettes when he got out and got dressed. Microscopic examination of the clothing items indicated that the damaged areas of the shirt were caused by tearing. They were unsure whether the damaged areas of the skirt were tears or cuts due to the type of fabric that the skirt was. However, they did say that the waistband of the skirt indicated tearing. That tells me something. I can buy a shirt getting torn, maybe if you're walking through the woods or running, running from someone or something, and that shirt gets caught on a branch. I can believe the same thing of the skirt, but I cannot believe that innocently occurred to the skirt and the shirt and the waistband of the skirt. A waistband isn't loose, it's snug against the body, and thus would not likely snag on branches if you are running or walking through the woods. A waistband would only be torn if it was pulled with enough force to tear it. The, the top was torn, and mm -hmm. I think, I'm not sure if she had a black skirt on and a white top or vice versa, but the top was torn, definitely. The skirt says it's torn, too, and they couldn't determine after looking at that microscopically because of the type of material that the skirt was. And it is white. You're right. It was white shirt, black skirt. The, the t skirt, they couldn't establish that, this, that the, there was a hair, I believe, at the hem of the skirt, too. But they weren't sure because it kind of looked like a cut. And they couldn't tell micro. You know how when you tear something, there's kind of like little uneven bits. But when you cut something, it doesn't necessarily always have that. So that part was, they weren't unsure if the part near the bottom was cut or torn. But they did say that on the skirt, the elastic at the waistband was torn. So it does, that all sounds like struggle. That sounds like a struggle. But, but the problem is that the police said that at that scene, there was no signs on the ground of struggle. No drag marks, no torn um, tree limbs, no scuffs I, in the dirt. It was in the water. I think um, they were in the water struggling, is what I think. Really? I hadn't even thought of that. So you think both of them were in the water? What, skinny di dipping maybe? or, or? Maybe. I, well, no, because I think her clothes were torn off of her. I don't think she did it herself. And I think that uh, whoever was with her, that I think they were in the water. I actually hadn't thought about both her and the person being in the water together. That's um, that's yeah. something to think about. Now, when you did they show you the clothing? Like, were the clothing ripped as in from top to bottom, or there were just tears in it? It doesn't. The way they describe it doesn't sound like they were ripped off of her. Meaning, you know, you grab them at the collar and rip the whole thing, the shirt down from top to bottom. What is your recollection of what those tears look like? Um, when I saw them, I, I can't remember, Jenny, if they were ripped completely off of her or just the shoulder. It was, um, you know, like a, oh, a top that had been cut out, like across the, the front and the back. Um, but I, I really, I wonder if they still have that. They I should. Really they definitely shouldn't have gotten rid of it. What about, do you remember any, like, grass stains or drag marks on the clothes or anything that led you to believe that she was wearing them and dragged? No. Okay. No, I don't. I think it was done in the water. I think she was drinking as the person told, she told Susie that the person was bringing the bottle. Mm-hmm. 
And I think she was drinking, probably, possibly, most likely. Yeah. Well, that the, she was drinking or they were drinking. I mean, it, they were probably both drinking. And so that, yeah. you know, when people drink, there's a possibility that they will do things like get in, skinny dip and get in the water or whatever. But if you're thinking they were in the water clothed, like that would that would indicate you you would think that someone, I mean, being clothed in the water and then having your clothes ripped off in the water or pulled off in the water... I mean, you, that's the thing with when you're talking about someone being intoxicated, they might do things that they wouldn't normally do um, when sober. So maybe she did go in the water with her clothes on or maybe she was forced into the water or, you know, we don't that uh, we don't know. We don't have enough information to know exactly what happened. And that's why I was focusing on the clothes, because it does it does, something doesn't I feel like, you know, when you're putting a puzzle together and you're missing some pieces so you can't get it all together because it's not all there. When I get that feeling, it's usually because either the scene has been staged or changed or affected in some way by someone. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? And that's a possibility, too. What if we have someone who did something to her and then she was passed out or in incapacitated and then that site was essentially an area where they just put her? I have to think of all the possibilities. So when I was asking questions about Keith, that I wanted you to understand that's why I was asking. And I there's a reason why police were, were polygraphed him and the people that they polygraphed every person that they polygraphed they had a reason for doing so that made sense to me i mean his name is keith the name keith was mentioned he physically matches the description that willie oliver gave his vehicle matches the description but we have to contend with the fact that she told her friend she was meeting someone that she had just met she didn't say i'm going to meet my cousin she said i'm going to meet someone i just met at a stoplight and that's what happened. So we know those two things happened because what Mr. Oliver said and what Susie said corroborate one another and match. We yeah. also have to contend with the fact that she, Lisa told multiple people she was being followed by someone in a truck and she met someone in a white truck. All those things don't jibe with my cousin Keith. I understand, I, you know what I mean? I'm understanding that. It, so, up, it tore him up when, and he was upset with me because he thought, that I gave them permission to do that. And I felt that if if I discouraged them from doing it, they would wonder why, you know? And, and so I told them to, that they're gonna have to go ahead and do it. And I told him, I went to him and I said, Keith, they're gonna take your testimony. I said, if you're not lying about anything, you know, it won't hurt to do that. So they leave you alone, you know? Yeah. So, so they did. They went ahead and did it. And of course, he was upset ever, ever after. And he, he's deceased now. He's not even here anymore. But one of the last things that he talked to me about was Lisa. What did he say? Uh, just, you know, um, like encouraging me to try to find who, who did it to her. He wanted me to, you know. I give up and and what he didn't understand was I was killing myself trying to to find the answers and with no help at that point you know with um yeah I, I couldn't I couldn't continue to do that I worked I had it you know um, I worked for the county or for the clerk's office I had to be able to to work. I needed to work. 
Yeah. And that actually helped me, believe it or not, because, you know, then I had my mind on my job and, and that sort of thing. So it helped. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you can't live in that state of heightened trauma, um, you know, and digging into it and pushing those bruises daily and it not affect you and your health, your mental health, your physical health. It's not it's not a healthy situation and that's why cold cases are so bad because they affect they have that ripple effect and they, you know, terrible for family, terrible for communities, it's terrible for a lot of things. You've got, I mean, people doubt each other, you know, like you're talking about with Keith, you, you, yeah. you, you the police would have been negligent if they didn't do that because there were too many things that, that they would have had to do. I would have done the same thing that for the same reasons that they, for example, polygraphed George Lamline because he initially told police that he hadn't ever had sex with Lisa and never provided her with marijuana and they knew that to be not true so when someone lies to them they're going to strap you to a polygraph <laughs> that's what happens you can expect if you lie to law enforcement they're going to look at you um so i understand why they looked at everyone they looked at keith yeah, would have been the yeah. first i'm going to be honest with you he would have been the first person i looked at because of all the things that lined up there but in order for keith to have been been the person that picked her up that night um she would have had to lie to Susie about um, who she was meeting. And those are the facts. You have to look at the facts and, and try to put them together in a reasonable way. Stay tuned.